in uh, Greek mythology, you've got these creatures called sirens. Have you heard of the sirens? They're these beautiful women, and sailors would pass by this, this island where they would be, and it would be like kind of a rocky coastline, and they would sing a song. And as they sang, sailors would hear the song, and they would be drawn towards them, and they would wreck their ship on the rocks, or you know, bad things would happen because they heard the song. There's a few people that somehow thwarted the sirens, and, and one of them was Odysseus. He wanted to hear it for himself, but he didn't want to steer his ship and, and wreck the ship. He knew the danger there. And so he had his crew tie him to the mast, right? You know this story? He tied him to the mast, and, and the sailors on the ship all plugged up their ears with, I think, beeswax. And, and, and so they couldn't hear the music, but Odysseus could. And as they lashed him to the mast, you know, he could hear it, and, and he wanted to stop. He wanted to go over there, but, of course, he's tied up, but he could hear the song. There's another story of... Uh, uh, Jason and the Argonauts. By the way, that was one of my favorite movies as a kid. Just, just a little plug out there for that. Um, but in, in that myth, Jason was with his crew, and they called on Orpheus, I think is one of the gods, or, or, or someone in, big in Greek mythology. And he actually played another song that was more beautiful than the siren song. And so his song was so beautiful that they could just pass by without being affected. Now, what we're going to see this morning is not meant to be taken literally. This vision that John has is not supposed to be, okay, there's a real woman out there, and this is what... No, but it's supposed to teach a powerful lesson about temptation, about seduction, about the world. And that's what we're looking at this morning. So would you turn to Revelation chapter 17? We are uh, finishing our Revelation series. We started last year, but um, we kind of took a break, which ended up being for a long time, you know. And so we're coming back to it, and we're going to finish off the book. This is kind of towards the end. And, of course, Revelation awesomely finishes with heaven. That will be a blast to talk about heaven for a few weeks here. Uh, but until, until we get to that point, we're kind of on the judgment of the world. Last week was the bowls of judgment. And this is like another look at that but from a totally different perspective. Check out Revelation 17. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters. With her the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Now, in a moment, in verse 3, it says the angel carries John away. So there's a little bit of a separation between verses 2 and verses 3. So in verse 2, John has an angel talking to him, and John's the one writing Revelation, and the angel says, I'm going to show you this prostitute who's sitting on waters, and all the kings of the earth are committing adultery with her, and, and, and she's giving them this wine, and it's intoxicating them. So John has in his mind, I'm going to see this woman. And, and again, Ancient Rome, prostitutes are not uncommon. 
Not uncommon at all. In fact, they often wore a headband with their name on it. And it's just a very common thing in ancient Rome. And so you think John is geared up to see this, this woman that the angel's talking about. But this is actually what he sees. Verse 3. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into the desert. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones, and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. This was the title written on her forehead. Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes, and of the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Then the angel said to me, Why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and the beast she rides, which has the seven heads and ten horns. So John is, is shocked. He is completely shocked by what he sees. Again, if you're expecting to see a, a woman, if you're expecting to see a, a typical prostitute like you would see in Rome, now you see this woman that's riding on this, this, this beast, and, and he's, just, he's just marveling at this. He's shocked by it. It's not what he expects to see. I mean, I think that's bottom line. It's not what he anticipated. But the angel says, why are you shocked by this? Like, don't you know what you're looking at? Isn't that interesting? You know, angels like to do that, typically. You kind of notice that, you know, like, like they come to the tomb. Jesus is not in the tomb anymore. He's resurrected. And the angel's like, who are you looking for, you know? Come on now. You know, or, or when Jesus ascends to heaven, right? The angels are up there and, and they're like, hey, what are you looking at? He's gone now, you know? <laughs> All right? <laughs> Get over it. Go do what he told you to do, right? He had some words for you. Get out there. Quit looking at us and go do it. Um, angels kind of like that. I, I don't know what it is about them. Is that a personality thing? I have no idea. But, but the angel says, why are you astonished? Why, why is this vision of a woman on this beast like, like freaking you out, or why, why is that crazy to you? In other words, it's almost like the angel is saying, don't you know what you've seen? Ha, can't you recognize what you've seen? Isn't this something that you experience almost every single day, but just didn't have a word for it? And I'm just showing you something that you should already know. I'm just showing something you should already know. I thought of it kind of like this. Sometimes people tell me, about a new movie that's come out, and sometimes they say, oh, Niall, you wouldn't like that. It was, it was really dumb. It was stupid. I didn't like it at all. For, hopefully they don't ruin it for me by telling me the ending. We've already been over that part. But, um, but sometimes they'll say, don't even bother. It's not that great. And sometimes I will bother, and I will watch the movie, and I really like it. It just means I have a lower class of entertainment than everybody else, I guess. But <laughs> my expectations are so low. But... You know, sometimes you're astonished by how much you like something that no one else likes. Like, why is that? I don't know why that is. But it's just your expectations going into it. And I think John had certain expectations, and his expectations were blown away by what he saw. And yet the angel says, you shouldn't have been surprised. Seriously. That this is something very, something you experience maybe every day. 
Okay? What is it then? Okay? So now let's have the angel explain what the whole thing means. And I'm sure as soon as I read this, it'll be crystal clear. Or not. Okay. Um, where are we at? Let's see. Why are you astonished? Verse 8. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and will come out of the abyss and go to his destruction. That would be the Antichrist, if you want to fill in the blank there, okay? Uh, Apparently the Antichrist will have a fatal wound, maybe die and then get resurrected. So in this case, the angel says, he once was, now is not, and will come out of the abyss and go to his destruction. The inhabitants of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world, will be astonished when they see the beast, because he once was, now is not, and yet will come. Again, if you've got a world ruler that apparently dies and yet comes back to life, that will be shocking if you expect someone dead and they're not. So, then you've got verse 9. This calls for a mind of wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is. The other has not yet come. But when he does come, he will remain for a little while. The beast who was once was, now is not, is the eighth king. Again, we're talking Antichrist. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. Apparently they want you to know the Antichrist will be destroyed. No matter how good it gets for him on the world, he will be destroyed. Verse 12. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour, again, short time, I don't think that means a literal hour, a very short time will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. They will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will overcome them because he's the Lord of lords and the king of kings, and with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Then the angel said to me, The waters you saw where the prostitute sits are the peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will leave her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it in their hearts to accomplish his purposes by agreeing to give the beast their power to rule until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. Crystal clear. Would one of you like to explain that for the rest of us? (laughs) Really, I mean it. (laughs) I mean it. A lot of different views on what this all means. You've got these ten kings who apparently will arise at the end times and they're going to support the Antichrist. They're going to say, we're with you. We support your rule. And the Antichrist, of course, wants to get more and more powerful. And and one day he's going to get so powerful that he'll actually turn against this woman and actually destroy her. Now, probably be helpful to understand who she is. Because the whole purpose of Revelation 17 was in verses 1 and 2. We read them and it says, the angel says, I'm going to show you the punishment of the prostitute. So we're reading this going, I'm supposed to read this and go, here is punishment. That's why I'm reading this. Who is she? Well, let's talk about that title on her forehead. Because if that's how you would recognize Roman prostitutes, then we probably ought to try to recognize her by the title on her head. What does it say? Well, it has a few words on it. The first word is mystery. Mystery. 
if you read the New Testament and you come to the word mystery, usually it's going to refer to Jesus. Because in the Old Testament, they didn't know who was going to come. They didn't know who the Messiah was. They had this, the sacrificial system, you know, kill animals, forgive your sins. Really? This goat's going to cover my sins? Really? It's an animal. It, it, it has little intelligence and it's going to die for me? You know, but that's what God wanted because it was pointing forward. They didn't have the full understanding of that. It was pointing ahead. And then there was this suffering servant that Isaiah talked about that was supposed to come. Who's that guy? When is he coming? When's the Messiah going to be here? And so Jesus comes onto the scene and it's like, okay, the mystery has been revealed. This is the one. And so if you read Ephesians chapter 3, you're going to see the word mystery over and over in that chapter. And it all refers to Jesus has now come and we know what the mystery is. It's revealed. And if you read Colossians chapter 1, you're going to see again that Jesus is the mystery that's revealed. Well, this isn't Jesus, but it's a mystery. There's something spiritually happening here in history that people don't understand. Whatever we say today about this woman, it's hard to understand. And a lot of people won't get it at all. Because this woman is actually intoxicating them. Remember that? She's giving them this wine, and the wine is so overpowering that they have no idea who it is that's serving it to them. That's who this woman is. She brings mystery. If you want a related passage, you kind of think about 2 Corinthians 4, I think, verse 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. You just don't see it. Total intoxication. So whatever we say today, we have to understand there's mystery here. There's mystery here. And I think if I was to encourage the church in any way in thinking about mystery, do you understand, people, do you understand that your neighbors, your family, people in this world are caught up in the mystery of this woman? They're intoxicated. They can't see what's happening right in front of them. Which, again, I think is one of the reasons why the angel says to John, don't you get it? Don't you see this every single day? Mystery. You talk to someone about Jesus and they say, yeah, you're invisible God. This invisible Santa Claus in the sky that's going to help you out. I mean, this is what I hear people say. They say it's ridiculous. And, and, and I say, this is the mystery at work today. You don't know it, but you're drinking deeply from a cup from a woman that is just tricking you. It's the siren song, and you're heading for the cliffs. Shouldn't that provoke prayer in our hearts for the people that don't see what's going on in their own life? Shouldn't you, next time you talk to somebody, and, and, and maybe they're actually rude to you about the faith, shouldn't that like break your heart and start to pray? Because you know that right now they're taking a big drink. Sometimes Christians would rather be offended than get on their knees and pray about what's actually happening right now. Sometimes I'd rather cry persecution than do something about it and start praying about it. This is the world we live in. And it is mysteriously intoxicating. 
Um, Secondly, secondly, the second name on her forehead is Babylon the Great. Babylon the Great. Now, I've already put my cards on the table a little bit because here we've got to talk about what Babylon is, right? And, and if you've listened to me so far, I think you can infer from what I've said that I believe Babylon is the world. By the way, did I give the actual point for point one? Did I actually say it? The nature of the prostitute's a mystery. That, that was the point. If you're filling in the blanks, I'm sorry. Uh, the nature of the prostitute's a mystery. It's a mystery. Point two, though, let's say this. Babylon is the world system that opposes God. It's the world system that opposes God. So, so it's connected to this beast that she's riding, right? This beast she's riding would represent the Antichrist, and the Antichrist is now controlling the prostitute. And we know Satan has power on this earth. We know he's the prince of the power of the air. We know that he's working out things the way he wants to see them go. He's controlling many things. And so we read this and go, oh yeah, uh, the Antichrist, who is an agent of Satan, is controlling the prostitute. She's riding on this beast. Now the last verse is also interesting. Because this, I mean, obviously Babylon causes a lot of people issues because did you read earlier how there were seven hills? Did you you see that part where I read it? Um, Where are we at? Verse 9, the seven heads of the beast are seven hills on which the woman sits. Rome has... Seven hills. Is this a reference to Rome? Maybe. In fact, if you want to go down that road, I would say, okay, I can go down that road and say this is Rome, ancient Rome. But if you're going to go down that road, I would say Rome is only a symbol of a much more devious power behind Rome. Okay? Because I look at the last verse of uh, chapter 17. That's 18. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. I think that's an ongoing ruling. I don't think when the Roman Empire fell that that verse is suddenly like, nope, we don't, we don't, that, we don't deal with that verse anymore. I think it's an ongoing control and rule over the kings. And one day that rule is going to be even worse than what we see in the world today. I think behind Rome, Behind the powers in this world is a darkness. That's what Ephesians 6 says, right? We don't fight against flesh and blood. We're not fighting physical terrorists. We're fighting what's behind the terrorists, spiritual powers of darkness. That's Ephesians 6. There's forces behind this that are doing their work in the world through human agents, through people, flesh and blood. So Babylon would be a worldly power under the control of Satan that opposes God. That opposes God. Um, So, again, I think we read this and go, if that's the way it is, then I expect worldly pushback. I, I expect the world to oppose God. I expect... You know, if you're reading the news again, I don't know if I said this last Sunday or not, but InterVarsity, the campus thing, you know, that they're doing ministry, they were kicked out of a lot of uh, California's uh, universities because they require only Christian leaders for their organization. And so they were kicked out. Now, they could actually still reserve rooms, but it will cost thousands of dollars, I think, 
to reserve rooms and still hold their meetings, but they're no longer recognized as a campus organization at some of these California schools. Now, we might want to say, you know, persecution and cry out, you know, but I, okay, you know, there's pushback. There's going to be pushback if the world opposes God. If Revelation 17 is true, we're going to see more of this. We're going to see more of this. And again, I don't think it does good to be outraged, to be offended, and to be all these things, even though there is hurt there. I think we pray. I think we do what we can legally to do what we can to promote these things. But I don't even want to pretend necessarily that my persecution is on the level of what's happening in the world today. That's just my personal thing. That's where I go in my own heart. Okay, finally, let's do, uh, let's do the last word on her forehead. Um, mother of all prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. Mother is the word there that I think controls what's happening here. I believe what John is saying and, and, and what he's seeing is this, that this woman is the mother. She has birthed all sorts of persecution, idolatry, and immorality. That this is the source, that the world is the source of immorality, worshiping other gods, other things, even worshiping self, that the world is producing all these things. So John, why should you not be shocked about this woman riding this beast? Why should you not be shocked? Because here's the easy answer. You see it every single day when you see immoral things happening, when you see people worshiping other gods, when you see people worshiping self, you're seeing this woman. And she keeps birthing these things. She keeps birthing. Now, you also might ask, why is it a woman? And I believe it's a woman that's in the vision because in the Old Testament, Israel is the bride. In the New Testament, the church is the bride of Christ, right? And so there's this amazing image that we are like a woman and Jesus is like a groom. And one day we'll be married. We'll be with him forever. But until then, the question is, will you be faithful? Will you be faithful until the day when we are married, when we see Jesus? Let me say it this way. Um, let's not be deceived by the beautiful filth of the world. I mean, do you know what John is saying when he describes this woman? He says about her, she's wearing, I'm in verse 3, uh, verse 4, she's dressed in purple and scarlet. She's dressed like royalty, okay? Like royalty. And she has, uh, and was glittering with gold, precious stones, and pearls. She's rich. She's wealthy. She has a golden cup in her hand. Take a drink. And in that cup are dung, urine, and you say, well, I, I, that's, kind of, that's kind of intense, you know. But abominable things. What kind of things do you think abominable are? What do you think is in that cup except dung and, and, and just filth? And it looks beautiful on the outside. And it's come take a drink of this. And this is what the world offers. 
So would you remember, Christian, when you get tempted by the world and whatever it is they're offering you, would you remember what that really is, what's on the inside of that? It's filthy. It's filthy. And if you have been drinking, would you stop because it's making you sick? This is a Christian response to the world. We love the people that are caught up in it, that are caught up in the mystery of Babylon. We love those people, and we want to see them sober. We want to see them sober. We want to see them wake up to the reality that Christ is more beautiful than the prostitute. You know, the siren song, Jason the Argonauts, made-up story, of course, but, but Jason has Orpheus play a song that's more beautiful than the siren song. The question I ask you is, do you really believe that Jesus is better than anything the world offers? And that if you never had any worldly enjoyments for the rest of your life, that Jesus would be enough? I mean, that's what this passage is inviting you to think about and to commit to. It calls you Jesus' called, chosen, and faithful servants. Jesus comes back and with him are his called, chosen, and faithful servants. That's who you are. Jesus called you. You heard his voice. And at some point you said, I've heard it. It's not just me making this up. I know Jesus wants me. I'm in. And that showed that he chose you. And I'm not trying to get into predestination. You know, uh, I know we, we vary on that. Did God choose us? Did we choose him? Which one comes first, chicken or the egg? You know, how do you figure that out? I can tell you, though, many are called, but few are chosen. That's Jesus' words. And he chose you if you believe in him. And however that worked out, did Jesus work with your free will? Or did his choice affect your free will? He wanted you. He wanted you. And then the last word to describe those Christians are they're faithful. They don't get drunk from the world. They don't fall for it. The mystery's there. They're not buying it. Don't buy it. If you are um, here today and it feels like I'm talking in code because we have all these symbols... <laughs> Let me not talk in code for a second, all right? Because this passage is full of that stuff. It's, it, it's, it's to the brim. All we're saying today is the world entices people to sin, to break God's commands. We do it every day. I do it every day. Whether by word or thought or deed, I do it every day. And yet, I have a Savior who people didn't know about long ago, but he came onto the scene like a mystery. And he died in my place for my wrong. And he died for you, for your wrong. Would you trust that Savior? Would you say to him something like this today? I am a sinner too. I've messed up a lot. But I believe you died for me. I believe you paid the price I deserve to pay. One day the world will pay. Revelation 17 is all about the prostitute getting punished. That's what it's about. Punishment's coming. I want no part of that, so I've accepted Jesus' forgiveness. Will you do the same? Let's pray. Jesus.